manager ratings, you know, if you read the research around them, they're 60% bias. 60% of a manager's rating is explained by the idiosyncrasies of the manager. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Break the Wheel podcast. I am here with you with Josh Merrill, who is my co-founder at Confirm. Hello. Hey, everybody. So, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So Josh and I have been friends for literally 20 years. We met in undergrad, and we basically share a brain and finish each other's sentences. The other sentences, yeah. We've lived in, I think, four different places together. Yeah. We've I, been each other's landlords. Yeah, I've been your landlord. You've been mine. <laughs> That's right. It's hilarious. Yep. And now we're we're doing this business yep. together. So I thought, you know, this is one of the early episodes of the podcast. Might as well have you on at least once. See how it goes. We get a little honest, a because little Because I'm so messy. entertaining. You are entertaining. No, not really. <laughs> I'm not entertaining. You can be. All right. Well, diving in with be. our... You can be. Diving in with our first segment, okay. we're going to uncork and unwind. Today's wine is from Spain. And speaking of Spain, they have a unique approach to employee terminations where severance pay is often mandatory, even in cases of fair dismissal. This practice ensures that employees have a financial cushion during their job transition. And I'm curious, Josh, what do you think about that? Oh, gosh. So I have some mixed feelings. I think that the idea of having a financial cushion is is great. I, I wonder sometimes whose responsibility it is. You know, the idea of a universal basic income has intrigued me for a long time. I don't know if it's the right thing. but uh, we have this like interesting incentive mechanism where if you don't work, you starve. Um, and in the United States in particular, if you don't work and you get sick, you die. There aren't a lot of safety nets there in that respect. So we have very much incentivized work. But you know, I kind of wonder what we're missing out on as a society when people maybe aren't free to explore the things that may not be economically rewarding in the short term, but in the long term could generate a lot of value. It's, it's very so. wise. I'm also, uh, you know, hitting close to home when you're talking about things like a universal basic basic income, even though we, it's like, I don't want to get political. And yet it's kind of inevitable that some of these things come up when we're talking about the workplace. You know, we just, you and I just today approved our um, open enrollment and we saw that there was a was it a 22% increase year over year on the health insurance side for us, which is like insane. Yeah. It's not sustainable to do that every year. And yet we have to somehow cover this for folks. And it's like, no wonder folks are also like going abroad more to hire because, oh my gosh, it's like getting harder and harder to to hire and sustain employees in, in the US, which is quite a challenge. And that's one of the ways that a, a lot of companies are getting around requirements like these is, you know, we still have this huge split between what a contractor is entitled to and what an employee is entitled to. And a lot of companies get around that by hiring contractors and policies like this that maybe may be really progressive and in favor of the worker all kind of go out the window when people just get converted to, to contract work. Totally. And, you know, it's like one of those uh, elephants in the room that a lot of us have these have organizations where you know, on from a legal standpoint, the definition and the difference between an international contractor and, and an employee is one that you need to be really careful in terms of what you adhere to. And at the same time, people that are working together, regardless of what they're in control of, you want them to be like one community, one team, one group that gets along together, that works together. So 
What a challenge. <laughs> oh, Am I supposed to do? Do I need to uncork also? Uh, if you or want, is that just you. I can mean, I, 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 I don't I mind being a solar drinker, by the way. Like you can. <laughs> go, uh, yes, uncork. Oh, you, no, please. you will be, because you know I don't. I don't really drink. Right. So I don't want to pressure you. This is what I brought. You brought no. You, no, I appreciate that. But this is <laughs> I. I just brought it. This is a this monster. Is a monster. Yes, monster, it's, which is like your version of water. Than, <laughs> it's my version. <laughs> my version of coffee for sure. Here you go. That's so hilarious. I, we can toast to okay. Toast to uh, progressive to HR. evolution and and yeah, having a better world. Cheers for HR. Cheers. Cheers. Ding. All okay. right. Oh, I'm spilling on myself. What a mess. Okay. Moving on, <laughs> HR news flash. So a study from FlexJob says that about 73% of Generation Z workers feel more optimistic about their career prospects now than at this time last year, as compared to huh, 43% of Millennials and 31% of Gen X, according to a September 25th report. However, workers across all three generations reported similar workplace struggles and challenges, including excessive work and a lack of clarity around their job roles and expectations. Thoughts? Well, so one thing that's surprising, one thing that isn't. So what is surprising to me is I always, I always kind of expected that like Gen X and millennials would be the more optimistic ones. I thought Gen Z was the one. I thought it was just like getting worse and worse and worse for them. So that surprised me a little bit. I thought that Gen X and millennials would be more optimistic and Gen Z would be less. You know, I'm not surprised that Gen Z or that people across the board are more optimistic today than a year ago. You know, if you if you think back to where we were coming from, I mean, a year ago, what were we reading about? It was about recession. It was about the layoffs that were starting to happen. And, you know, we just had a jobs report this morning that showed, you know, unprecedented, I think we added 350,000 jobs, something like that. Um, double what economists were predicting. And it seems like maybe this is the, maybe the soft landing that people are talking about, that maybe the the, the future won't be as bad as we thought it would be uh, this time last year. It's so interesting because I had like an opposite reaction, which is I'm not surprised that Gen X and that, and you know, millennials are having the reaction they do because, you know, a lot of us can't afford a house, can't afford like anything relative to our parents and our grandparents. And ageism in the workplace is a thing. And like, you know, we're we're now in our 40s, OMG. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm a, pro- I'm a pro- we're protected classes now, Josh. We're we're protected. I'm so I'm per- perpetually 39. That's just- <laughs> I know. We, we I love being 40. I love getting older. Maybe we'll get some uh, wisdom moments for how you how you keep the youthful glow, which you know we feel a lot of pressure in moisturize. our community. Yes, just okay. moist, just moisturize, moisturize. There you go. <laughs> well, so and <laughs> speaking of diving in into your world, so reality check. Time for a little bit of a guest spotlight. Uh, we would love to do a little deep dive, Josh, into your world and your your day to day to get a little bit of visibility into your reality and you know obviously uh confirm does a lot in performance reviews performance management and reinventing how they work so maybe a little bit of a dive into that world of fixing the broken world of performance reviews yeah totally um so i so i'm a huge history buff every time i learn something new i just like i have to understand the history of it and when we started working on performance reviews I want to know, like, where where did they come from? 
how long have we been doing this? And it turns out that manager reviews, that that traditional like one to four, one to five manager rating is a hundred years old. It was literally created by the US military at the end of World War One and it was brought into the workplace in the nineteen twenties when work was solitary, it was repetitive, we didn't have computers, we didn't even really have telephones. Now, of course, like the way we work today is completely different. You know, you probably are using Slack or Teams and you can direct message anybody in the organization. You know, we're collaborative, we're cross functional, we're all over the world. We have like Zoom and WebEx. And so the way that we work has has totally transformed. The way we measure that work is uh, is kind of frozen in time. And that's really where we turn to organizational network analysis, which is a way, fancy way of saying you should measure the work the way that you actually do the work, meaning anyone in the in the organization should be able to review anybody else. It can be positive, it can be critical, but the point is that it matches how we actually get things done. And one of the things I love about our approach, about our product and the interactions that we get to have with our customers are these magic moments. And one of them happened this week. Uh, we were sitting down with the, the CEO uh, of a 700-person company, and we had just done this performance cycle using ONA, or Organizational Network Analysis, and we put the list of top performers in, in front of him. And it comes from asking everybody in the organization a question like, you know, who do you go to for help? Who energizes you? Who do you see making a big impact? We put the list of top performers in front of him. And we said, how many of these names do you recognize? And he knew about half of them, which it, I love hearing that because what it tells me is that half the people who are doing a, a great job at his company, they're already on his radar. But the other half are these, you know, like what we kind of call it quiet contributors. So they're doing amazing work, but they're just not, you know, they're not managing up. They're not self-promoters. And before organizational network analysis, he would have no idea who those people are. And to be able to put them on his radar was a really special thing for me. That's awesome. So long-winded answer. No, I but. love that. Like um, being able to recognize people for the difference that they make at work is such a such an important thing that often, you know, often it, it goes unsaid. But for almost all of us, it's like if our manager doesn't love us, if our manager isn't there promoting us, you know, like vouching for us in those calibration rooms if our manager isn't like super charismatic and maybe needs to be a native english speaker and be able to like eloquently put together like why you deserve to be promoted like it's like our ability to be promoted isn't based off of our own performance it's about our manager's ability to sell us yeah and then we're talking about incentive structures earlier and the unfortunate incentive structure of, of how we do work today is that your destiny, your future as an employee, your opportunities for advancement and for growth really depend on your manager's ability to advocate and to influence on your behalf. And that has nothing to do with you, but the incentive that it creates is, in fact, it, it's so common that we have a word for it, which is managing up. The incentive it, it creates is for us to manage up and to look good to our managers at worst, at the expense of how we treat other people. And at best, it's really just a distraction because the, the work isn't about managing up. The work is about making an impact and making a difference. Um, but we have an incentive structure that uh, that doesn't really reward that. So when we talk about like expanding this incentive structure and having other people's voices be heard, 
you know, something that comes to mind for me is, you know, this idea of like a popularity contest. Like when you're asking people, who do they go to for help, advice, energy, who do they see as outstanding, who are they concerned about that needs additional support or attention? How do you prevent that from being a, a popularity contest? Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say, well, I think the first thing to, to acknowledge is the, the popularity contest is, is happening today. It's happening with manager ratings. So that's what manager favoritism is. That's what it is to, to manage up. It's, it's about being popular to an audience of, of one. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, being popular in and, of, in and of itself is not a bad thing. Like certainly if, I, if, if somebody were deeply unpopular, you might want to know, well, God, why are they unpopular? Why, why, are, why is this person disliked? But it's not everything, right? You know, I was talking with a, a professor about this who is one of the leading researchers in employee performance, and and we talked about this this exact uh, objection, and and he said, you know, the way you overcome the popularity contest is through substantiation. You get specific about your questions and you substantiate them. So if I if I were to ask a question like, who do you go to for help and advice? Another piece of information that you might want to ask is what did you go to them for help and advice about? And tell me how they were helpful or something like that, right? The more substance you could put behind these answers, the less it becomes about popularity and the more it allows people to focus on, okay, what what value did this person actually provide um, that then makes them valuable to the organization? So the idea is that if people provide comments justifying why they go to someone for help and advice, why they see them as outstanding, then when the manager reviews this feedback from the network, they can decide for themselves like, oh, this is an outlier. This looks unusual. And they can use that information to make better decisions and, and better manager ratings. Totally. I mean, you know, just even on, if you think about like manager visibility, um, like, like when I was in college, they they taught me to manage by walking around and like so, nobody showed me how to do that over Zoom. Right. I just like Slack, like I can't be in every Slack channel. I can't see the DMs. Like DMs are things that used to happen like in the hallway, like in the open. Now that all happens in private. And so as employees, we've become more and more networked and we have more and more touch points. But as managers, we have less visibility than ever. And ONA is one way of giving the manager the, the visibility back and then allowing them to make better decisions with it. I love it. Well, clearly like Folks that are in the old world, there's a lot that they're misunderstanding about the people around them. And that gives us a good transition to our next segment, People Misunderstand. So Josh, tell us, what do people misunderstand about you and or your job and or anything in your world? Oh, so, so good question. Um, so to answer this question, I, I, I have to almost think back to what I thought my job would be before I started doing my job. So in other words, like what did, what did the younger version of myself think about what it meant to be a founder or think about what it meant to be, be a CEO before actually doing those jobs? And I think maybe two things come to mind. Um, one is uh, it's really, really hard. Like starting a company is just really, really hard. There was a pretty well-documented um, uh, presentation that Elon Musk gave to- Sorry, uh, this was excuse All me. the way back in like, <laughs> I know, put aside your feelings about Elon Musk. <laughs> um, so this is, so going back to like 2000, I think 
this is 2007, something like that. So he he um, had just taken over as as CEO at Tesla, and Tesla hadn't started making cars yet. They were making the the two door Roadster, and they had all these deposit holders who had put down a hundred thousand dollars to get this car, and the car was late, and it wasn't going to meet any of the specifications that they promised. And he actually called all the reservations reservation holders together in into the Palo Alto showroom. And he explained to them that he, he broke the bad news, no that time. it just wasn't going to be the car that he promised that it would be. And he talked about how hard it was to to actually start a company and get it off the ground. And he said he said it's like it's like eating effing glass. Uh, and and not just a little bit of glass. And it's really true. I mean even if you're so lucky to be one one of those like one out of ten startups that turns out to be you know wildly successful, um, it is really hard. I mean, I just saw um, I think it was earlier this week that like Smile Direct Club uh, is like on the verge of of bankruptcy. This is a company that went public, um, raised a billion and a half dollars in the IPO, and they're on the verge of bankruptcy now. And it just kind of goes to show you that like. You can go all the way to that moment that you know entrepreneurs are supposed to dream about the IPO, and then still fail afterwards. I mean, it, it is so hard, and a lot of um, a lot of the time, you know, when we read about success, it's really just that those those founders just kept going um, against impossible odds and, and just never gave up. I think the second thing that. Um, that I didn't know before I started doing my job is just how important storytelling is. That um, as a founder or as a CEO, you really are this kind of professional storyteller. And you know, you can have the best business model in, in the world or, or the greatest product, but at the end of the day, you know, human beings like we we all just want to be told a story. Um, and you know, it's a skill that. Uh, that they don't teach you in school. Uh, I never took a story storytelling class in, in business school, uh, but I wish they had because it it um, you know you tell stories all the time to to prospects, to customers, to employees to get them to 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 join this this mission that you're on, to investors. Um, you you sort of become this professional storyteller, and getting good at that skill, uh, it's so underappreciated and I didn't know how important it would be until I started doing this job. It's so interesting because the storytelling out there, you know, I mean, sometimes you have that really compelling storyteller that builds this really awesome business based off of it that ends up like solving the problems for their customers, et cetera. And then you have storytellers like, I don't know, Elizabeth Holmes, et cetera. I mean, you <laughs> right. know, that it's like, they're good at telling stories, but I'm not sure it's the outcome that, you know, is the healthiest, you know? Well, you can be a you know a, a great person, and you can also be full of shit. Um, either way, <laughs> being a good storyteller, uh, it's it is a it's a universally applicable skill. Touche. So it sounds like people misunderstand. Can be, can, can, can be used for good or evil. So put it that way. Yeah. No, it's totally fair. Well, uh, chewing glass, I think, is a great analogy. I think that especially right now when. A lot of us are, you know, forced to do more with less. I think probably a lot of folks listening are feeling like they're chewing a lot of glass right now. So uh, I guess... Not which, just a little bit of glass. Yeah, like yeah. like a whole freaking <laughs> bottle. I mean, I have one here. It's uh, anyway. Big, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> like when chewing glass, I don't know, be like a goat, like make it delicious. I don't know. I don't... Anyway, 
<laughs> Moving on. This next segment is break the wheel or break a heel. So I'm picking a topic. I'm going to give you five items and you're going to tell me is does it break the wheel? Innovative, you know, getting out of the cycle of awfulness uh, or does it break a heel? Which we all know if you rock down the runway, how awful that is. Uh, so the topic today is apropos to our conversations. It's performance reviews. Number one, continuous feedback. Break the wheel or break a heel? So my first, my first reaction is break a leg. Break a leg, uh, because you know it's a it's a good thing, but you like good good luck with it. Um, I, okay, so gone to my head. Break a, break the wheel. Um, continuous feedback is a is a good thing. Um, I think it's also important to to understand what it is and what it isn't. Um, you know, it's a great way to people for for people to feel like they matter and for them to develop. Uh, it's not a really good way of helping somebody understand where where they stand in the organization. It's not a measurement tool. Um, I think the conversation in our industry for the last ten years has about has been about how not to do performance reviews, like do continuous feedback instead. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're just seeing we're seeing rifts. We're seeing like bell tightening and the the return of the performance review. Um, because continuous feedback doesn't doesn't help managers and leaders make those kinds of decisions that they have to make today uh, around promotions and pips. So I, I I'll say break the wheel, but I really want to say break a leg. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because definitely <laughs> many of us who instituted like continuous feedback platforms, and I know Confirm does continuous feedback, but um, you know we expect that it's going to solve some of these problems, and then we see that it it skews positive. You know, like only a subset of our team engages with it. We have a lot of recognition in there, but then when it comes to actually identifying problem areas, it's like really hard to get people to put that kind of information into a system of record. So it's like kind of challenging. So good, good wisdom. Totally. All right. Next manager ratings. Oh, this is, this is break a heel. Um, manager ratings, you know, if you read the research around them, they're 60% bias. Um, so 60% of a manager's rating is explained by the idiosyncrasies of the manager. Um, by the way, 20% is noise and then 20% is actual performance of, of the employee. So manager ratings don't do the thing that we think that they do, which is to measure performance. Uh, they are a great expression of manager bias and not a lot more than that. Um, so I'm going to say break a heel to manager ratings. Yeah, it's like, are you an easy rater? Are you a hard rater? You know, more useful to know, like, if you rated everybody on your team a three and somebody got a four, much more useful than you rate everybody on your team a four and, you know, somebody got like a a, a two or a one or, you know, yeah, that's totally. And we just, we all have biases as human beings. We all have idiosyncrasies. And when, you know, to assume that any manager is, is going to check those things at the door when they go to assign a rating is it's just not realistic we're, we're all still human beings at the end of the day it makes sense all right this next one so we've just been talking about organizational network analysis and getting feedback about the organization so curious what you think about peer 360s uh peer 360 okay so break <laughs> the wheel or break, break a heel break a leg <laughs> yeah this is a this is a break this is a break a leg but i'm gonna i'm gonna skew toward break a heel um, Pier 360s, by the way, have a really interesting history. Um, I, I had to read about this. So 360s, I, I swear to God, this is 100% real. Um, 
created by the, the first thing that you would ever see in history that resembles the 360 was created by by uh, psychologists in the Nazi military in the 1930s. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it, I'm I'm not even kidding. The the thing that they did that was a little different than what you'd recognize today is that the 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 peer feedback actually went to a psychologist oh. who would then like just write it into a report about the subject. But um, but once the the typewriter kind of proliferated in in the workplace, it it became direct feedback, and that was uh, that was really in the 1950s and 60s, and then by the 80s and 90s, we had this branding of calling it the 360. But the that methodology was there for a long time. Um, you know, in general, if you've ever done a 360, I think what you learn about them quickly is they take a lot of time. Um, most people don't learn a lot from them. They mostly get a lot of positive feedback. I mean, the last 360 that I did, it's been a few years, but I could sum it up. I mean, it probably took, you know, five or six hours of time for everybody to complete. And I could just sum it up into one sentence, which, which is just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I think that's the experience a lot of people have around 360s is they don't, the, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. So I'm going to say break a heel. People also like they pick the people who they know are going to say good things about them, right? Like you cherry pick like, oh, I'm not working well with that person. I'm not going to pick them, right? Even when you get the manager involved, right? Like totally. sometimes they're picking these people that you know ahead of time, like, okay, this person's going to give, you know, the info that I want yeah. them to give. Well, so if you tie it, yeah, if you like, if you tie it to performance and then performance maybe is tied to compensation, like of course the incentive is going to be get people who are going to say good things. At, at most, I think maybe they, they're helpful from a developmental perspective, but they, it has that has to stay like really far away from performance. Uh, otherwise, you you get that incentive. It's fascinating. So I mean, I know when people were hearing about organizational network analysis earlier, and then hearing this about three sixties, like maybe they sounded like the same thing. But the takeaway that I get is peer three sixties. You cherry pick the people that are going to say good things about you, and the people that suffer the most are like the high performers that everybody wants to write their review. And then like, they end up being the people right. being like, I hate this process. I can't do my work. Like, you know, end up being resentful. 20 reviews HR. to write. Totally. And then yeah, instead, exactly. like this ONA thing where you're just asking like, okay, who do you go to for help and advice? Who energizes your work? It's like open-ended, like light lifts, totally different experience. And, and you're not asking when you do, well, another key difference is when you do a 360, you may ask a peer to rate you, you know, one to five scale or something like that. When you do organizational network analysis, there's no rating, right? When I ask you, who do you go to for help and advice? You're not asking, you're not answering the question, how helpful are they? You know who you go to for help. Like there's, that's a, a, a very simple question. And, you know, you don't have to pick a, you don't have to agonize between what, what's a three and what's a four like you would on a 360. That's fascinating. Um, so it's really simple and straightforward. You have the power of sample size where dozens of people can go to the same person for help and suddenly you know, oh, this person's an expert. And you know what I love uh, about that? you don't get that, that with 360s. Totally. What I love about that is that like the advisors, the wise influencers, you know, folks that may tend to skew older or with more tenure in a lot of organizations where like their contribution actually is a lot more about their help to others than necessarily like their individual contributor work. Those are people that like don't get visibility in the traditional model, don't even get visibility in the peer 360 model, because if they're giving help and advice to 50 people around the organization, because we're also networked, but you can only pick like three people for your peer 360s, like there's a whole world right. of information that you just completely miss. You would miss it. Absolutely. Fascinating. All right. Next, break the wheel or break the heel. OKRs. 
objectives and key results? Oh, I'm going to say, this is a tough one. I I want to say break the wheel. I've heard OKRs to me, are, they're kind of this like, at least for me personally, they're kind of this like mirage where like, I hear about organizations that really depend on them and do them really well, but it's just like, it's just a rumor. Like it's like the, the Emerald city. You know, I've never experienced it myself. Yeah. Like, I've never experienced an organization that, that does, you know, OKRs or goal setting really, really well. Um, I, I mostly just read about how great other organizations are that do it. Um, that's my experience with them. That's fair. Well, you're probably not the only person, uh, listening here that that feels similarly i will say i've done them in a lot of different organizations and at google i think that actually we did them really well in whatever 2006 when i was there but i don't know how that is today but um at different startups like the pace and things change so fast that like by the time you get to the end of the quarter you look at this list and you're like we're not doing like half of these things and yet you're still feeling good about what you're doing so maybe i guess it's your yeah, mileage google may vary. is the one yeah, Google's the one company that I hear about that does OKR really well. Um, other than other than Google, I don't <laughs> hear a lot about <laughs> how great OKRs are. Fair enough. All right, last item, break the wheel or break the heel, organizational network analysis. This is a layup. Oh yeah, this is this is a it's not even a break the wheel. This is like a shatter the wheel. Um, yeah, organizational network analysis, the future of performance reviews. Um, I think in five years, you know, if you're, especially if you're in a knowledge organization, it, it would, it would be weird if you didn't do organizational network analysis. Absolutely. We're seeing more and more conversation about it, more and more people doing it. And it ties into our tools that we use today and being hybrid, being remote, all of that. That's awesome. All right. We got a lot of interesting totally. break the wheel, break the heel. Let's move on to the wheel breaker of the week. So this week's wheel breaker is LinkedIn, which is interesting. I, I don't know if I would have picked them without reading this, but LinkedIn introduced AI-assisted recruiting tools uh, and a coaching chatbot. You know, these new AI-based tools are set to improve efficiency so recruiters can focus on strategy and people-centric work, the company says. Obviously, like, first thing I think about is what about bias? I'm sure that's what a lot of us are thinking about. What are your thoughts? You know, it all just kind of... If, if I can like expand the scope a, a, a little bit, like I actually took my first ride not in an autonomous taxi hmm. uh, last week. And you're still and alive. One of the Somehow Waymo. you made it. I'm still alive. I, I did. I've had done it several times since then. And wow. Um, it was actually, it, it was pretty cool. Um, but what it, what it all kind of gets me to is like, it, it, it feels like we're going into this, this future. We're actually talking to another human being is, going to become a little bit of a kind of a little bit of a special treat oh um, are you for me it's like a, it's oh it's the opposite it's like a, it's like eating asparagus or i don't know some it's okay, like if you like asparagus anyway like, you know yeah. no i don't want to talk to people <laughs> it's like go, machines, go ahead it's like machines are great for like um you know they used to be really good at like the 80 percent case and now with ai and you know more advanced computing like those driverless taxis or whatever that now it's maybe going up to the 98% or the 99%. And then there's still that one or 2% of the time where you just wish you had a human that could get you. Um, you know, my, my taxi example is like the car wouldn't, even though I was, um, even though I was standing on the corner, the, the car wanted to meet me around the other side of the street. 
and there was a bunch of traffic. So the car is just creeping, creeping along. And like any human driver, like I could just flag, flag them down and they'd stop and I would get in the car. It was really hot out too. Um, but the driverless cab won't do that. It has to, you can only get into it at the designated pickup spot. And so, you know, that's not a big deal, but it's one of those like, oh man, one, 1% of the time I, I wish, you know, I wish there were a human being who could like color outside the lines with me. And, you know, I kind of, I, I, I kind of, that's kind of how I feel about when I think hear about like an AI assisted recruiting tool. It's like, yeah, you know, most of the time it, it probably will, will work pretty well. And then there's that like one or 2% of the time where you wish, yeah, like I said, you just you wish you could color outside of the lines with another human being. Totally. Well, I, you know, I feel the sentiment of like, okay, save me time, but I get super, super nervous about this idea that there's going to be all of this Im implicit bias that's going to actually cause a whole boatload of people that should be getting recognized, that should be getting through doors into organizations that actually technology like this could hold them back. And yet at the same time, I imagine that a, a responsible recruiter that is actually asking the AI, like, please address bias, please think about bias, like is giving prompts that actually mention bias could actually have the opposite effect and actually maybe surface and identify the bias that's there to highlight candidates that otherwise wouldn't go recognize. So it's very much like the eye of the, the beholder, the eye of the the, the person who's who's running the show you know uh, interesting thing you were talking about the cars i <laughs> i know for a fact from other people i know who've been in them that like none of them do the california rolling stop right they come to a complete stop right. at like every stop light or stop they sign do. and like that can't be more unhuman <laughs> like i don't i don't know a single right. human oh, being yeah. that like you know that does like a hundred percent stop i'm like you know so no well, I've actually, Tesla released a statistic that it's not 99.95 or 99.5% of drivers do do rolling stops. There you go. So maybe maybe I mean, the more human thing to do is to actually break the rules sometimes. Maybe a little bit. A, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Speaking of break the rules, I don't know if you have any break the rule wisdom, but riz wisdom on the rocks is this next segment. So you're going to just impart for us any interesting wisdom that maybe you know that a lot of people oh, gosh. don't that you would like to share. <laughs> oh, this is a tough one. Um, okay, so I'm going to go, since I can only pick one thing, right? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to go to something that I've been thinking about. So somebody recently told me about these ephemeral tattoos. Oh, no, so These are tattoos that last. No. No, no, no. Okay, go ahead. Listen, listen. This is, it's... it's so here's the thing, ahead, I don't have ahead. any tattoos. I've never gotten one. Uh -huh. I've never gotten a tattoo because I, I've never thought of anything that I would want to just have permanently like, you know, on my body, they're going to see it every day and other people could see it or whatever. But, and then you um, can't, by the way, you can't I be buried that, in a Jew Jewish cemetery if you have a tattoo, just so you know, a lot, a lot of people know that. Oh, I didn't just, know that. Just letting you know. I, I hadn't planned, uh -huh. um, but they have these ephemeral tattoos that last like two or three years. And, and that really got me thinking like, well, gosh, you know. I can try it out. What would I choose? What would I put on my body? And my and it and and I think if I if I had to to pick one, just something to remember every single day is this quote um, that I heard a, a couple years ago. It's my favorite quote now, and it the quote is, um, "Whatever you're doing right now, you're getting better at it." And it's a reminder. And there's something actually like very true about that because you know. We have the you know, we talk about the plasticity of the brain, where our brain is really 
um, well adapted to uh, get more efficient at the things that we do repeatedly. Um, and that's why, you know, people say like practice, you know, got the piano in the background, practice makes perfect. It's because the more you practice something, anything, right, the deeper those channels get and the more efficient those channels get and the easier it is your, for your brain to work along that pathway. And so it's very, there's some, some real truth to that, that whatever you're doing right now, you're getting better at it, whether it's a, a something that you're doing at work, um, you know, a conversation you're, you're, you're having a way of thinking an internal dialogue, like whatever it is that's going on right now, whether it's in, in here or out there, you are getting better at it. And I, and I, and I have to think like, if there's any one thing I want to remind myself every day, it's to, to be mindful of the things that I'm doing right now that, you know, oftentimes are subconscious or, you know, we're just not really thinking about them or not questioning them, but to, to, bring some attention to them and, and remember that whatever it is, I'm getting better at it. That's wild. I mean, whether it be a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing, this adage applies. So great wisdom. You're getting I, better at it, right? Yeah. Getting better at it. Well, I will say as an aside, I did hear about a startup not too long ago that was doing ephemeral tattoos that like is going belly up. So because they weren't like coming off fast enough they weren't ephemeral yeah yeah the, the tattoos weren't ephemeral that's yeah. a problem yeah that's, that's so, a little bit of a problem so be careful yeah. if you're gonna do it be careful all right i don't i don't have the tattoo i never got the tattoo okay <laughs> all right good to know well speaking of silly crazy things uh this next segment is what should i have done uh it is a segment where i tell you a personal story of something that i did at work that is a little bit ridiculous and you tell me what i should have done so Today, I'm going to share a story of my first year. Um, it was at Google, 2006. There were 3,000 people in the company at the time. Um, I was like a, an early associate product manager on Gmail, and uh, it was an exciting time, but also a time where, um, you know, I just got out of like college and school. You know, I had an upbringing with like a really, really strict, uh, you know, full-blooded German stepmom who was never happy enough with what I did. And so I, I had a huge inferiority complex, huge imposter syndrome complex, and I never felt good enough. And I felt like my ability to make a difference in this world was based off of what I could produce as a human being, that my deservedness of love was what I could produce, which 20 years of therapy later, I don't feel that way. But at the time I did. So I got pneumonia. Yes, pneumonia. One, one, it's a week. I started coughing, started getting sicker and sicker. And I went to the doctor. The doctor said, you have pneumonia. And so I was like sitting up and at night, I just coughed. It was horrible. But I felt like I was making a difference at work. I felt like actually that I was engaged at work, that I enjoyed my work. And so, um, and I had some really important stuff that I wanted to do. And so I got a mask in 2006 when masks were not a thing. I got a mask. And I wore it and I walked into work to do my work. And just so happened that that was the day when one of the founders of Google, Sergey, was doing his management by walking around and was walking by because he had some questions about Gmail. And I was there and he like looked and he said, why are you wearing a mask? And I said, because I have pneumonia. <laughs> and he went, oh my God. And he jumped back about three feet and then said, you should go home. And then continued on his way. And then after that, I think I was depressed for like 10 years. Uh, no. Uh, so, Josh, <laughs> tell me, what should I have done? Oh, gosh. Um, well, what you what you should have done is exactly what you did. 
So don't worry. Go to work? Um, I think that, well, you just can't change the past. But oh, wait, wait. I will say okay. that. Go ahead. Okay, if you got pneumonia today. Yeah. So here's the difference. The, the answer today is different from the answer in 2006. And mm. the difference was COVID. Mm. There was a, a, a time in the past when, you know, going into work sick made you look, you know, it was tough. It was brave. You know, you're, you're just, it's you're true. toughing it out God. and still working. It's so horrible, through. but it's true. Yeah. And, right. and it's, and it's a, it's a totally, um, kind of, you know, it, it's, it, it's a self-centered meaning it is, it is centered on the individual. There's, there's no, you know, thought of like, well, oh, you could get a lot of other people sick too. And I think that is what changed after COVID. Now yeah. it's like, you know, and, and I think that was, that was really because of so many of the testing requirements where like if you you know gosh, i remember flying to um to paris uh during the pandemic at one point and like they'd get tested to be able to actually like leave the airport or something like that and um and there's by the way no other disease that we actually do that with that we don't test from the flu or for cold or anything else but just that expectation that it, in order to be out in society, you 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 can't be sick, really changed the way people treat being sick at work, and it's not it, it's not acceptable anymore. Which I think is a really good thing. That's fair. Yeah. In retrospect, I think this was like a a crazy one. So thank you for your words of wisdom. Which brings us to uh, the horror story of the week. If you want to share, Josh, a, a real life. HR or otherwise horror story and uh, what went down. Oh gosh. Oh, I mean, there, there are just so, so many. Um, we all have them. I, I can think of a couple that are, you know, kind of non-specific, but you know, I remember one case where an employee was uh, relocated to another office and then um, laid off the next week. Oh, um, it was oh. interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, stuff like that. Um, yeah, certainly many around performance reviews. Um, certainly, I've seen many people like passed over for promotions or told that they were meeting expectations when they were really outstanding and everybody knew it. Um, you know, I'm like, I think, stop, Josh. We only need one horror story. You're getting me depressed. There's so, there's so many. <laughs> there's so, let me. I'll just leave it there. I'll okay. leave it there. There's okay. a lot. Point taken. Well, I could just say like messed up performance review feedback and performance reviews and mismanaged performance reviews. I'd say that horror story is happening every second of every day at every single company around the world. So, OMG, that's a wobbly wheel. Yeah. Which brings us to the wobbly wheel of the week. So Tyson Hormel, they face a class action suit over worker compensation. So executives allegedly held secret meetings and off-the-books dinners to discuss worker pay, right, pay rates, supporting a plausible inter in inference <laughs> of a conspiracy to suppress wages. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. I mean, this – I don't think this should be a surprise, you know – we have right now we have a strike going on with healthcare workers at Kaiser Permanente. Um, SAG Astra is is still on strike. The writers' strike uh, just concluded after what five months, I think. Yeah, a long time. UAW is on strike right now. So um, I I don't think this is surprising in in the least. 
Wow. In fact, if anything, it fits, fits up patterns. That's sad. I would love to live in a world where I'm like, is it capitalism? Is it? I don't know. But I would love to live in a, I don't know, a world where we're all incentivized yeah, to like, still like whatever, make money, but like treat people well. And I don't know. Yeah. What a mess. I I love, I can tell you, I love capitalism. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, I, I do. I love capital. I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. Uh, and I'll also I'm say like, that please, it's only please keep as listening. Good. Please keep listening. Sorry, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep <laughs> it's going. only it, it, but it's only as good as the incentives um, right. that are that are set up to support it. And if those incentives are are misaligned, uh, like the one that we talked about with manager ratings and a, a totally manager driven system of performance and, and advancement, yeah, if those incentives are misaligned, you're going to get some some bad outcomes. It's true. That's just like, how it works. If you have an or uh, a country, an organization, uh, what have you, that has a certain policy, you know, it, it's the people who are running the show that can make that policy have effective outcomes or ineffective outcomes. It's it's fair. So noted. Uh, which oh, brings really. us to water cooler whispers. So any word on the street, rumor mill, anything that comes to your mind that maybe our audience would like to know about that they otherwise wouldn't have heard what's your water cooler whisper oh gosh um what is my water cooler whisper i will say that so there's a lot of buzz around artificial intelligence around ai especially generative ai um the the water cooler and a lot of companies getting funded um doing ai i think if there's a water cooler whisper it's i think it would have to be that um venture capitalists are they they know it's a bubble <laughs> like uh, they know there's a bubble happening yeah that's that makes sense uh yeah i i think it's kind of a, a little bit of an open secret now even amongst the people who are funding these companies you just got to be hoping that you're on the right side of the bubble, right? Like the very, very small percentage of companies that are going to survive it and not part of the very large percentage of companies that are going to. Totally, Fair enough. Totally. Yeah. All totally. right. Next segment, HR Speak Funny. So we pick a weird or unusual or just like typical phrase that we just use and we don't really think much about and uh, make fun of it a little bit. So today's HR Speak Funny is the Peter Principle. The Peter Principle is a concept in management developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to a level of respective incompetence. Employees are promoted based on their success in previous jobs, you know, right, until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent, right. which maybe that is true sometimes, as skills in one job do not necessarily translate to another. The Peter Principle, who, like, is that a thing? I Now I've got to go read all about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's probably some truth to it. Um, when it breaks down, uh, it tends to break down and it seems to really break down in a, in a very spectacular way. I mean, you do read sometimes about, you know, CEOs of fortune 500 companies, you know, you, places that you think would really have their act together, promoting people into positions of total incompetence. Um, and then there are some times where it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes really competent people get in those jobs and, and do great. But uh, now I'm going to go read about it. Yeah, I definitely know there are a lot of people who every single boss that they've had was another Peter 
another Peter, another Peter who was promoted to incompetence. So if if that's you Absolutely. and you've gone through that, um, we hear you, we feel you, we support, you, support in you finding a better job. Or but just a better manager, you know? Um, get organizational network analysis maybe as a way to to help make that problem better. All right. Last segment here, decline to comment. I'm going to ask you three questions in order, and you can decline to comment to exactly one of them. So leading in with the first one, what was your hardest work moment to date? Do I get to hear all three before I No. You can okay. either decline to comment or <laughs> share. So yeah. Okay. Um, my hardest work moment to date was probably um was probably being fired. Um, you know, most people, most of us at some point in our careers are gonna have the experience of being fired. And um I think that at the time it it meant a lot more than it than it did with a little perspective. You know, the moment it, it hurts, it feels terrible, it, you know, you feel rejected, um, you know, loss of income. Um, I think with a little bit of perspective, I can look back on it and go, you know, that was a, a necessary part of my path. And it is one of those inflection points where life changes in a really big way and the opportunity for it to change for the better. One door closes and then another door opens and then... Totally. Life. Oh. All right. Number two, which uh, co-founder or co-worker did you least enjoy working with? Do I have to name a name? Yeah. <laughs> or you can or you can decline to comment. Okay. But then you have to answer the last one. Okay. I'm I'm giving you maybe like a, a half answer to this one because I I'm, I won't name the name. There are but no I'll half just answers you. on this show, Josh Merrill. Okay. Then I'll but I go will. Ahead. I will answer the third one, whatever it is, but okay. um, I won't name this person's name, but I will just say generally people who manage my, my worst, the worst coworkers I ever, ever have to work with are the people who manage up at the expense of working well with others. Preach. The boss loves them. They stay in their job year after year and everyone uh, around them is miserable. The golden child, maybe the golden boy or the golden gentleman. Yeah, or, totally. or, you know, other people too, but that's, anyway. Noted, totally. all right, number three, who, <laughs> this is juicy, who do you roll your eyes at when you see them on LinkedIn? <laughs> uh, who, I don't, I don't know that I have a, a single person in mind, but I can say broadly what I, what I roll my eyes at on LinkedIn are, there is this like, there's this LinkedIn post uh, like template now where like it's one sentence followed by a, a paragraph space followed by another sentence and they're trying to tell this this story and it's what you kind of learn after seeing enough of those done badly is it's not really about where you you know putting one sentence in at a time in the line break it's not really about the format it's about the content because more often than not what i see are those types of stories that end pointlessly uh, with no substance at all. And that's what so I rolled true. my eyes at on LinkedIn. Like, it's oh my not gosh. about, yeah, yes. it's not about, it honestly reminds me of like, um, I'll quote another one of your favorite people, Ronald Reagan, 
who oh, you know his his nickname in the eighties was was the <laughs> was the great communicator, and oh, uh, oh. and and he said, "I'm not a, commu- a great communicator. I just communicate great things." And all that to say is like uh, it, the content actually really matters. It's not just the the form uh, of it. Um, it's true so though. That like is, those. Yeah. Th- that LinkedIn format, I feel like their algorithm one day was like, what if we just had the algorithm boost people who have like the shortest number of paragraphs in terms of words and like do it like the more of them that they have, like let's just boost up to the top of our feed. And then suddenly like all of LinkedIn starts looking like this, like, you know, those infomercials in like the 90s, totally. late at night. Like, it's like watching I- a, 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 a station of just of sham shamwows or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a chamois. Like- it's... You're gonna love my nuts. Yeah. Okay. If, please, if right. you don't get that reference, just anyway. Anyway. Yeah. No. 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 It's true. But, but it's true. And I don't know how that became like the dominant post. I guess I, I get it. Like it, it is a good. It's a. It's succinct. It's direct. Uh, and that that works well for LinkedIn. It works for busy people. But if the substance isn't there, it just feels like a joke. So 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 true. I feel like the algorithm maybe is starting to get better, but it's true that it's it's been a journey. Well. God, With that, so. Josh, Joshua Merrill, it has been lovely to, uh, to, to, I don't know what the word is. Cheers. To, 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 to mingle. To, to mingle. Yeah. Lovely to mingle. So a cheers to change. So we'd like to celebrate ending with uh, companies like Thoropass, who recently shared that they retained 100% of their top performers by using the power of organizational network analysis coming up multiple times today. To identify outstanding performers that weren't visible to managers directly, but who the network went to for help, advice, energy, and notice their outstanding contributions. So we applaud organizations like ThoroughPath that are looking beyond the manager's perspective to gain insight into their talent. And we believe in a future where all people are rightly recognized for the difference they make at work. So with that, Josh, cheers. Have a lovely week, weekend, etc. And thank you all for listening. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Break the Wheel podcast. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Join us again for more insightful conversations.